This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Church in Montgomery in Colmar, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we uh, have begun a study of the book of Acts, and we are still in Acts chapter 2. If uh, you want to follow along, it's uh, if you want to use one of those borrowed, uh, those blue hardcover Bibles, I think it's page 1078. But uh, what we've learned, what we've been learning about this study is that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work that he does in redeeming man is unstoppable. His crucifixion couldn't stop it. His Burial couldn't stop it. He was raised from the dead. He ascended, and yet he sent the Spirit, and the work continues. And throughout our study, we're going to see over and over again that despite the obstacles, despite the problems, the challenges, the gospel is going to keep pushing into people's lives. Now, last week we talked about the the birth of the church and what happened, this Acts chapter 2, where suddenly there's a, a, a loud sound like a rushing wind. And uh, something that looked like little tongues of fire came and, and distributed it on every one of the believers that were gathered there. And they suddenly had this ability to speak languages that they never learned. It was, as we learned, this, this sending, the, the promise that Jesus gave, that he would send the Spirit. That was the mark of his arrival. So we pick up our story right there. Loud noise, tongues of fire, speaking languages that they don't understand. And what what we learn from this portion of Acts is that the people in the town, now remember, they were in town from all kinds of providences all around, faithful Jews and, and, and converts to Judaism coming to observe this feast of Pentecost. They were devout people. And this feast, as we looked at last time, pointed towards something, that that there was a hope that one day this Messiah would come and his kingdom would be established and he would reign. So there was this kind of undercurrent of someday something big's going to happen. And suddenly there's all this noise. Well, what do you suppose happens? The people come gathering around from all the city. They all come together and they begin to ask, what in the world is this? And we said that a good observant Jew would probably notice loud sound, fire, That's the kind of stuff that happens when God shows up. So at the very, um, verse 12 and 13 of Acts chapter 2, we see that as they gathered together, some of those people in town were genuinely seeking. They they were asking, wait, what does this mean? Implied that there was some big meaning behind this. Others were mocking. Yeah, right. Yeah, these guys have been drinking. And so it's right there where we pick up where, And get the picture now. These believers who have just been anointed with the Spirit's power are in a spot. All these townspeople come to them and say, what in the world? Explain this to me. What's going on? Some are interested. Some are mocking. And it's right there where our story picks up in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. So this is what we read. It says, and then Peter stood up with the eleven. And he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. So what we're about to look at is really the first evangelistic message of the New Testament. 
This is the first time that anyone filled with the Spirit is going to share what all this means in God's big perspective. It makes sense to me that there might be some insights that we gain by looking at the very first evangelistic message. And Peter preaches it. Now, I guess we have to pause for a second and ask ourselves, who exactly is this guy who stood up to speak? It's kind of like, uh, you know, who is this guy and what have you done with the Peter that we know? Because if you know anything about the story in the Gospels, Peter was not exactly the, the, the picture of spiritual maturity. Let's just review quickly. Over and over and over again, he didn't understand Jesus' teaching. He'd have to go, huh, what? I don't understand. It was Peter who stopped the children from coming to Jesus, remember? Hey, hey, hey get these little snotty kids. Come on, get it. we got more important things to do. It was Peter who was supposed to walk in the water and instead went swimming. Remember, it was Peter who thought he was going to be the greatest disciple. It was Peter who was offended when James and John thought they were going to be the, most, the biggest, greatest disciple. It was, Je- it was Peter who rebuked Jesus when he was talking about dying. Yo, hey, Lord, you, no, that's, that's not right. It was Peter who, up on the mountain of transfiguration, suggested that they build three huts for Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. He just did not get the picture. It was Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, it was Peter who said, hey, ah, don't wash my feet. It was Peter who slept like a baby in Gethsemane, along with some others. It was Peter who boasted, even if everyone denies you, I would never deny you. And within hours, he denies Jesus three times. He's even scared of a little girl. That's the Peter we know. I don't know who this guy is. Unless, of course, the change that we see is somehow connected with the experience they had. What is the effect of the Spirit of God showing up and being able to demonstrate his power through a believer. I think it's fair to say cowards can become evangelists. For those of us who feel a little cowardly, that might be exciting. So what we see is the effects of the Spirit's presence. We'll read on in verse 14. So then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Some translations read, and actually the originals, a little bit more definite than this. He says, this is that which was spoken. Hence the title. This is that. This is what? He says, this is what what Joel was talking about when Joel wrote. Now remember, our background, we're not following Judaism. We would say Joel who? Probably some pastor with the last name that starts with O. That's what you'd think of. (laughs) But these guys knew exactly to whom he was referring. 
You see, Joel was an Old Testament prophet who wrote to Israel warning them about their sin and the consequences that would come. Now, we don't have time this morning to unpack the book of Joel, but what you need to know is Joel, they had already, Israel had already been decimated by uh, plagues of locusts. You know, it's easy for us to overlook what some of this might have looked like until we look at something like Puerto Rico. You see, we just assume that even if we're out of stuff here, we'll just have to go farther to get it. But we need to remember that these were places where there was no someplace else to go. If the crops were gone, the crops were gone. If there was no potable water, there's no water to drink. It was a crisis. Most of us have never experienced not being able to get water we could drink. So in the midst of all of this, Joel is telling them, look, this is what's happening. This is why. And more is coming. However. Because Jehovah has made you a promise, regardless of how bad it gets, one day he will redeem you. One day there will be a new day, a new kingdom, and a new structure and order to the world. And when he refers to that, or this is what, what Peter's saying is, this is that. This is that thing that you heard about. This is the thing that you've heard promised. This is the thing that you've been hoping for, that you've been praying for. This is that. Now, in theology, we would call it the day of the Lord. When God finally finishes this redempting or redeeming of, of all of creation. What we probably need to understand about Joel's prophecy is that what we're going to read this morning really has two pieces. One piece of his prophecy that Peter mentions applies right now. And then another piece applies later. And that's not uncommon in prophecy. Let's let's take a look. <clears throat> he goes on to quote Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This would have been a familiar passage of scripture to any good Jew. They're looking forward to some promise someday. Peter says, no, this is happening now. This is that. However, the next piece that he talks about didn't happen right then. Let's read that part. He goes on in Joel. Joel says this, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. By the way, you see the theme again when God shows up next time? You know, thunder, billows of smoke, fire, all those things. When God shows up, there are fireworks. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon turned to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Those things didn't happen. They are still to happen. And so there's this idea of a kind of a prophetic gap where this has happened now, the rest of it happens later, and we're living right in the middle. Now, when we're used to getting things, you know, like drive-through fashion, this is kind of hard to understand. 
Even when I remind you that God stands outside of time and a few thousand years is nothing to him, still for us, it's kind of hard to get our head around the fact that, wait, one part of that, I mean, try that with a family member. Make them a promise. I'll do that, do half of it. Oh, the other stuff's coming in 10 years. We say, wait, wait, that's not a promise kept. And I guess the best way I could explain what's happening here in terms of a prophetic gap is I want you to imagine uh, a scene in an action movie. So you're in a warehouse because they're always in warehouses, right? They're in a warehouse and there's a bunch of terrorists with guns and they have taken hostages, poor trembling people, and they're scared to death. Now, amongst those terrorists, there are some that are hardened and, and, and merciless. But you already you can tell by the way it's filmed that there's also a few of the terrorists who are like, hey, we don't have to be that rough. I mean, we said we actually don't want to kill anybody. And you can see them beginning to have struggles. Ah, yeah, this is more than I bargained for. And so you, you know the scene, right? And they're barricaded in this warehouse. And they've got all their guns drawn. And the hostages are over here tied up. And suddenly there's a big loud noise at this back big door. It's, the, it's the, the authorities, the police. Boom, boom, boom. Open the door. Now. Right? And so then the police issue a warning. And they affix explosives to the door. Fire in the hole. And they push a button. Boom. Smoke and debris. And as the smoke settles... Suddenly, what used to be a door is now just a big hole in the wall. Now, pause the, pause the player there for a minute. Right there is where we are standing. You see, God has just opened the door, opened a window. In fact, some of those terrorists who are having second thoughts, they're actually faced with a choice right now. The door's been blown open. They could throw up a flag and say, I give up, I give up, I give up. Or they could stay with that gun in their hand. They have a moment to decide. But make no mistake, in just a moment or two, judgment is coming through that door. And then judgment will be meted out to everyone on the wrong side of this rule. What Peter is saying is we here living in this church age, we live in that gap. We were held hostage. We were alienated and separated from God. And God came through his son, Jesus, who died and paid the payment for sin. He went to the grave. But the grave could not hold him. Boom! And now there we are with the dust settles. There's a hole and people are going... What will you do? Because the second part of this prophecy is talking about judgment. What comes next is judgment. It talks about cosmic changes. Sun and moon darkened. And, and, like, and, and let me ask you something. Have you found a few of the natural disasters recently a little scary? Storms? Fires? It's terrifying. I watched some of the dash cam video of guys trying to get out of those fires. 
And I, I, I just can't imagine being somebody who loves the woods. I, I can't. Oh, my goodness. Those are natural disasters, folks. That's stuff that just happens naturally. What do you suppose it'll be like when God sets the fire? He's not burning down a forest. He's, he's going to burn down solar systems. He's going to rearrange planets and stars. It's going to be a scary time. What side of this debate do you want to be on when that day comes? What Peter is saying is, right now, we are right in that gap. And the coming of the Spirit marks the opening of that door. Acts 2.21, he says, with all of this going on, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Spirit brings in a whole new era. Jew, Gentile. Doesn't matter. Rich, poor. Doesn't matter. Everyone is equal. Everyone has an equal opportunity to accept the gift of eternal life as a gift. It starts by marking this open door by the Spirit's coming. Let's read on. So now Peter is preaching and he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So Peter begins his preaching by acknowledging something that the people that he's speaking to already know. And addressing a fear that perhaps they have been carrying. He says, this is that opportunity. And the very next thing he talks about is what? Jesus. What's interesting is he starts with the Jesus they knew. The one who came. The fact that he was a historical figure. He walked among you. You saw him. And God confirmed his person. Through these signs and wonders. Now, it's interesting to me. We know that Jesus had enemies in that city. And yet, as he's preaching, there is no record of somebody saying, Nah, no, he didn't. Because at this point, it's pretty hard to argue with. Everyone knows that what he's saying is true. He says, As you yourselves know, Jesus isn't just a frame of mind, Jesus isn't just kind of a way of looking at life. He was a real historical person. And he starts right there. He was here among us. He goes on. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and the foreknowledge and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to a cross. The first thing Peter points to is the fact that Jesus lived just like any of us. But the next thing he mentioned is that Jesus was crucified. He says, you with the help of evil men. Now, again, there was probably somebody in that audience who didn't actually help crucify Jesus. And yet he says, all of you are guilty. That's not fair, is it? And yet... In Romans 3, Paul says that 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You don't have to have been at that cross. You don't have to have participated in that crucifixion. By the way, I heard a, an interesting little anecdote. I, many of you perhaps saw the, that movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ, produced by Mel Gibson. Mel's got his issues, got, got that. But I don't know if you knew that he actually did appear in that movie, but he only appeared in one scene. There was a scene in which there was a hand holding a hammer that drove one of those nails into Jesus' hand. That was Mel Gibson's hand. If he was going to make an appearance in the film, that's the message he wanted to say. That was me. I nailed him to the cross. Now, before you object to the fact that, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not as bad as some, remember that the standard is God's perfection. But before you say, that's not fair, I should be able to stand on my own merits, let me point out something that we find in Romans just a few chapters later. In Romans 5, we read this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, now that's the part that doesn't sound fair, does it? Adam sins, and now we're all tainted with that same problem. Doesn't sound fair. Hold on. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. We're all sinners. But regardless of how we stack up next to each other, we sin in our nature. It came all the way from what Adam did. It doesn't sound fair unless you add this part of God's truth. Verse 15. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? You see, it doesn't seem fair that one person sins and we all get painted with it until you understand that because that's true, one man could die and redeem us all. You want to argue with being painted with Adam's sin? I don't. In the same way that we are all sinners because of what Adam did, we can all know eternal life because of what Jesus did. Well, Peter goes on. Verse 24, he says, first Jesus is this guy who lived. Then he died. He was crucified. And you know you were a part of it. Now he says he was raised. He says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What a great picture. Have you ever seen a little boy wrestling with his dad? Right? If dad is pinned to the ground, it's only because dad lets that happen. The minute dad is done wrestling, he just gets up. The boy's resistance is futile. It's as though it's not even there. Death, this thing that has terrorized mankind since the beginning, is nothing to him. He just gets up and walks right out. He goes on, he says, David said this about him. And now he quotes from Psalm 16. He talks a little bit about 
um, and, and we won't go there this morning. Remember, the audience would have recognized G, uh, David's words. And so what Peter's doing is saying, wait, 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 wait. You've known about these things. You've heard these things. This is that. Fast forward to verse 29. Once again, Peter says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and he was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. See, he, he, didn't, he didn't live forever. He didn't ascend. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what is to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we were all witnesses of it. We are witnesses. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples before he ascended? You will be my witnesses. We have seen this, Peter says. You have seen this. Never underestimate the power of your personal testimony. Do you realize people are fine based on what another person says? People are jailed because of another person's testimony. Capital punishment even and sometimes can be carried out based on a testimony. Do you understand how powerful your testimony is? Speaking just what you have seen. So this Jesus lived. Then he died. Then he was raised. We're not done. He goes on. Now exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, referring to what they would have known from David's Psalms, Psalm 110, I think. And yet he obviously isn't talking about himself. Who was he talking about? And he waits for these guys to answer. Yeah. See, the Messiah now sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is this one that we've been watching about. He is in heaven. From that vantage point, there is nothing he cannot do. He has this power place. <laughs> Just as an aside, um, some of you know uh, the name Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was this uh, prince of preachers, a great preacher of yesteryear. And he, was, he would instruct young preachers when he, when he was teaching them how to preach. And he was like, he was a firebrand, this guy. And he, he would encourage them. He'd say, look. I'm not going to do it in his accent, okay? But he'd say, look, when you talk about heaven, your face had better look like you're talking about heaven. Your eyes had better go up. A smile ought to fill your face. People ought to feel like you know that it is a place of joy. When you talk about heaven, make sure your face looks like it. And he said, and when you talk about hell, your ordinary face will do just fine. (laughs) 
And now we come to the climax of Peter's sermon. This is what he's been getting to for this audience, for these Jews gathered in Israel, or in Jerusalem. He says, therefore, bring it home. What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. It's interesting. Not just Jesus in general. Jesus as a way of life. Jesus as philosophy. No, this Jesus, the guy who walked, the guy who was crucified, the guy that raised from the dead, the man, the one that ascended into heaven. He has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That form of the word Lord, Adonai, is actually the way it's used for God. What he's saying is, Messiah is Savior. He's saying he's both God and Messiah, Savior. What he's saying is everything that you've been looking for, everything that you've been struggling with, and all the things that you are terrified about, this is the cure. This is the open door. Now, I want you to go back to that movie for a second. The door's blasted open. And some of the folks there holding guns realize, if I'm going to drop my gun and run, this would be a good time to do it. I want you to imagine the stupidity of one of those guys who says, hey, hi, hello. Hi, I'm thinking about coming out and all that. Okay. Okay. But I'm just wondering, like, once I come out, like, then what? Like, because, because I, like, actually, I haven't eaten. I'm kind of, so you guys, somebody get me lunch, maybe. And, and like. You know, I don't want I don't want to be hassled like, you know, I'm giving up and also and, and trying to negotiate all that happens next. The truth is, he may not have any idea what comes next. And yet you're not a fool for walking through that door because you know what comes through that door next. And so. Paul, Peter says, this is it. Jesus is the one, the Lord and the Savior, God and Redeemer. When the people heard this, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? They were convicted. Now, if, if you, like me, have ever tried to share the gospel with someone and they were not convicted, you know that Sharing the gospel feels like a waste of time. It is not until this conviction settles into somebody's heart that it takes hold. But Peter didn't pull any punches. He told them what he knew to be true, said, it's on you, and this is the opportunity now. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Now I want to hang on here for a second. When he tells them what to do, what he's not saying is there's two things you have to do to be saved. You have to repent and then you have to be baptized. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there's something to believe and then there is a follow through that happens after. So repenting. Whatever you've been trusting, stop trusting that. Begin to trust in this Messiah. That's what he's saying. Change your mind about what you're resting on, 
What are you resting on? What are you hoping on? Change your mind. Believe in Jesus. And then follow through with that. And let people know what you believe. So he's not giving a, a, a false gospel here. And then look what he says. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, this mark, this open door. The promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off. Wow. Wasn't Pentecost all about making God's abundance available to all, even those who were far off? When the Spirit came, he made life available to all, even those who are far off. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Please don't bring 3,000 folks to come to Jesus. We're not ready. Okay, you know what? We'll, we'll deal with it. Go ahead. Imagine this kind of preaching at the right time, the right message at the right time produced 3,000 that day. You'd just be happy if you get your coworker to trust Christ. So, Let's try to pick up a few insights before we leave, shall we? What can we learn about us sharing the gospel from reading through this story of Peter's sermon? And I'm just going to kind of go through that story again. First of all, we learned that it's easier to take a stand when you're not doing it alone. It's easier when you have other believers with you. Perhaps you're at a place of employment or, or wherever in your home, you're the only believer. It's kind of tough. But reaching out to others who believe and having them pray for you or perhaps even sharing together. That's why sometimes it's easier to invite somebody to church. They don't have to come to church to trust Christ. You know that. But sometimes getting them where there's, you're, it's not just you. Sometimes to have others back you up, not a bad idea. Peter stood up with the 11. And we need to make sure that we identify with those that we're talking to. Peter, fellow Israelites, three times, fellow Israelites. Fellow Israelites, look, I'm, I'm one of you. Isn't it easy for church people to say, oh, I was like you once. Excuse me? I'm still like you. Identifying with them. In fact, sometimes when people say, I, I don't know how to get a conversation started, I realize that maybe you just need to spend more time trying to imagine what life's like for them. Listening to them. Hey, so how's it going with your daughter? This, that must be so hard. What? And, and, and identifying with them. I've had nothing exactly like that, but I've had some things. I'll tell you what has helped me. Third, we need to meet people where they are. Again, those circumstances drew people out, but Peter went right up to them, right out where they are, understanding what their understandings are, their, their misconceptions, their questions. I know what you guys are thinking. That's not this. Have you ever heard somebody talk about Christianity? And they, they, they make it sound so different than what you and I know, if you're a believer. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's not that, what you're describing. That might be church. That's not Christianity. Fourth, even as we... Share with people. It's important to keep in mind God's bigger picture. 
We've been trained, I think, often to share the gospel like it's a ticket into heaven. Someday, you know, if you believe now, then someday you get into heaven. There you go. Have a nice day. But that part of the gospel is only a part. You see, the gospel is a part of a larger message which says things went off the rails in the Garden of Eden because of sin. God has been building this plan and laying the groundwork for the arrival of this one, the Messiah. His life would make the payment for sin. His spirit would indwell believers and the gospel would be carried out to the corners of the earth. The fall that started in the heart of one person begins to be reversed in the heart of one person at a time. God isn't just going to take us to heaven. He's going to fix the world. He's going to renew the world. Whatever it is that you hear someone complaining about, actually, that's going to get fixed. How can you say that? I mean, long term, that's going to get fixed. That's what I believe. That's what I live for. What I do every day is because I know what's coming next. I believe he's going to set this right. The world's not supposed to be like this. doesn't matter what the news feed is for the day. You can agree with a coworker. Uh, you're right about that. The world is not supposed to. This isn't right. This is not the way it was meant to be. How do you think it was meant to be? How does it get put back right? Five. You share in the gospel, remember that God is at work behind the scenes. He's been doing it for generations. You're not reaching them. He's been pursuing them. This might be that time. This is that. And so knowing that sometimes God's already been at work. You can see it in their face sometimes. And of course, sharing Christ is a process. It says right here, and with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. It's nice to share the gospel once. I used to carry all these little heaven tracks with me. Here, in, out, no. And if they would like, well, oh, oh well, whatever. And off I went. Of course, I was junior high. What do I know? Of course, we would like somebody to, to respond in faith the minute we share the gospel with them. But the truth of the matter is, it's a process for us. It's a process for them. With many words, he continued to warn them. He pleaded with them. Keep speaking. Keep talking. One last thing. So how exactly did Peter change from a coward into an evangelist? He had a Pentecostal moment. You see, he was ready. He was united with those other believers. He had been in prayer. He was seeking to live a life that honored Christ. He was waiting for that promise. He was looking for opportunities to share the gospel, and he was ready to share. He was ready. And then the Holy Spirit showed up. We said that we don't need to expect big sound of wind, tongues of fire. We don't have to do all that. The Spirit's already here. He doesn't have to do all that again. He has already arrived. But he did promise that he is here. Are you and I ready. I saw it happen a couple times this week. When a believer was ready, and all of a sudden there was an opportunity to say what was right or do what was right, and they 
Okay. And it made all the difference. You don't have to make the crisis. But when that crisis or that opportunity unfolds in front of you, when God opens that door of opportunity, isn't it nice to know you're ready? The door swings open, and all of a sudden you say, whoops, boy, I got sin to confess, and I got issues and whatever, and boy, Pastor Mike really ticked me off last week. And, and, uh, but, yeah, and hey, you are ready. Be ready. Maybe the waitress you got for lunch today? I don't know. Maybe the person driving 20, 20, miles, um, 20 miles an hour in front of you? Can I help you? Everything okay? That's not how you were going to respond. But you see, when we're ready and the door opens, we can step through. None of us can make the door open. All of us can be ready to step through. What was it that made Peter ready? God's spirit. He went from being a coward to an evangelist. Jesus can still do that. His spirit still does that. It's just a matter of whether or not we're going to be ready. Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'd love for you to believe in him today. Or maybe you're attracted to him. You're interested in this. You're not ready to make some kind of a decision. But this is interesting to you. See, that's okay with us. We love to know that you're in process. And we'd love to you to know that eternal life is a gift that is received. It's free because Jesus made the payment. For those of us who are believers, the application is real clear. Are we church people? Or are we gospel people? Are we ready to share this, this message of Christ? Are we ready to step through that door? May Jesus bring 3,000 through you. Lord Jesus, we're only here because of you. You've redeemed us. We're so thankful. But more than that, you have sent your spirit. And, and if we believe what we have read, that same spirit is alive in us, waiting, ready to do something. We're not in charge of the when and where of that something, but we can be ready. And so would you help us to understand that our mission is singular, to go and share the gospel every opportunity we have. May that be this call on our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.